A new chapter of San Diego activism is being written as we speak. Since the death of George Floyd on Memorial Day, the region has joined in on global protests, demanding racial justice and an end to police brutality. Many of the large protests have been organized by younger people, members of Gen Z and younger millennials. Now, more than ever, organizers with digital savvy have met this moment. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Lindsay Winkley, you've been covering the protests and you spoke to some of the organizers over the weekend. Why don't you explain why are we seeing so many young people really take this moment and organize these protests? This is a wave of action that, you know, hasn't happened in years. Yeah, I I think that I think that this moment in time really is a touch point, as one of our organizers said, a tipping point for um individuals who have been frustrated with the state of um, policing and racial inequity. Um, Many of the things that we've actually seen protesters uh, calling for change over for years. Um, But what I was struck by was when I was speaking to these organizers, these first time leaders, people who had participated in social action before um, occasionally, but had never organized anything, was this sense of personal responsibility. You know, many of them said, if not me, then who? I'm going to step up and I'm going to take action. Mm-hmm. And in what ways do you feel that these protests are separate from ones we've seen in the past? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of differences. I mean, I obviously think that it's notable that some of the largest protests that we saw in kind of the week after um Uh, or in the week that we started seeing protests in San Diego were uh, put together by people who had never done this before. I think that that's something that's fairly unique. Um, I also think that it's, uh, it would be remiss if we didn't point out how uh, integral social media has been in this effort. I mean, this is how a lot of these individuals got the word out about their protest. And this is also how attention grew during events because people are live streaming, people are tweeting, people are putting up Facebook posts about it. And so it's it's kind of this two-pronged effort to ensure that people know that these are happening. And I think that that's a, that's a more unique thing that we're, that we're seeing this go around. And what do you tell us about some of the organizers that you spoke to over the weekend? Yeah, so um, I obviously did this story with a coworker, Kate Morrissey, who um, interviewed some and I interviewed some. Um, but one of the individuals that I spoke with was Casey Short. Uh, Casey was the organizer of the La Mesa protest. Um, and the La Mesa protest really kickstarted all of the other protests that we saw in San Diego County. It was the first one. Um, and while Casey had uh, participated in uh, social action before, he had never uh put together uh, any sort of event. He had never led an event. And I want to kind of uh, scroll down here because I thought some this quote was really interesting from him. He said, I never really thought I could be an activist. I felt very strongly about things I didn't agree with, but I've never taken the initiative to really lead. I was the guy who shared something on Facebook, but I really felt in my heart that if I didn't step up, no one else would. Um, And that really resonated with a lot of what other organizers said. Um, One of the other organizers that I spoke with was um, Mina Donahue. And Mina actually was motivated to uh, put together a protest with a really a big emphasis on um, kind of a peaceful environment after what happened in La Mesa. So after Casey Short had left the protest, 
you know, things really escalated. Um, and there was a number of buildings that were burned. Um, there were buildings that were looted. Um, there was a lot of damage that was caused. Um, granted, depending on who you ask, on kind of who is responsible for that escalation, protesters say it was police tactics. Police say that it was um, protesters. But she essentially said the same thing. You know, she said that she was seeing all this energy and all of these people who clearly wanted to come together. Um, and she wanted to make sure that she was kind of providing a space for that, a space for people to get together and, uh, and grieve and also call for change. Um, and that's something else that kind of binds these leaders together is most of them have very specific demands. Because mm-hmm. it does seem like the kind of narrative arc of this ongoing movement is that the beginning of it was a lot more violent, a lot more anger. And then things kind of became kind of focused and targeted in which the police step back. You've heard the refrains of defund the police and the protests we've seen just grew in size and size and the violence just kind of disappeared after, after several days. Yes, I think that, you know, regarding kind of the violence that I think that we saw, I mean, that was by and large, that was fairly short lived. Um, you had, you know, the protest in La Mesa that devolved. You also had a protest in, um, you know, downtown San Diego that as the night went on, uh, there were some uh, experiences involving vandalism. Um, but after that, all of the other protests that we've seen in the county have been peaceful. Um, and I do think that it should be noted that every organizer that we talked to, a, you know, KC acknowledged that, you know, he said that he couldn't sleep that night when he started to hear what was happening after he had left. Um, but, you know, in the wake of that, a lot of organizers were very intentional about making sure that people knew like, hey, we're here to get together. We're here to call for change, but we're not here to disrupt. That being said, there were also organizers who didn't want to, um, there was a lot of condemnation. I mean, the NAACP said, we're not here for the looting. It distracts from the message that we're, that we're trying to convey. Um, but, you know, other organizers didn't necessarily want to condemn um, the way that people were grieving and the, the, the response that we were seeing, the minority mm-hmm. response that we were seeing. I mean, it's it's complicated. There's so many things going on right now that, of course, people are angry, and it's just <laughs> human nature to a certain degree to express your anger. Some ways constructive, some ways not. But when it comes to the youth themselves, why do you think they kind of have this ability to create, you know, this movement that is so large compared to other ones in the past? Because it seems like their organizing ability supersedes what we've even been seeing, you know, with the March for Science or March for Women. It seems even bigger than that. Why do you think that's the case? Yeah, I mean, I, I really do think that these these kids are just savvy. I, I just want to go back really quickly. When I said minority response, I mean, the responses that we have generally seen in these protests have been peaceful, just to go back and clarify. Um, mm. But yes, regarding regarding kind of this organizing ability, I mean, I think that it really does. Uh, it really does reflect well on kind of their ability to use the tools that they have at their fingertips to create momentum, to create that opportunity. Um, I wish I could find the quote here, but I'm having um, I'm having some difficulties. But when I was talking to Mina Donahue, she was saying essentially 
it was so clear to her by seeing the energy, the conversation that was already taking place in so many of these different forums, right? In, in on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, where you know, where where kind of the younger generations are congregating and speaking to each other. It was so clear to her that people were ready, right? People were ready to participate. People were already calling for change. And all these organizers, she felt, all all these organizers needed to do was give people the opportunity to show up and they will. And I think that this is something that we really saw on a massive scale. Like people were ready, you know, from young to old. I think that individuals have been calling for so long and with and with such passion for change that um, this really was, I mean, this really pushed people over the edge. Like it was, it is not okay. It is not acceptable. Um, and they were going to make sure that people in power heard them. Yeah, it seems like the the tools to express your opinion using these channels or traditional ones are given just so much more focus and attention. Like yesterday, people calling into the city council meeting asking the them to reject the budget that would have, you know, that would passed ultimately that would have given more money to the police. But it goes to show that, you know, previously you would have had some commenters, the meeting would have lasted a couple hours. This one went on all day because people were so frustrated and mad. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that it's worth noting that, you know, always, I think that there is a common thread of specific action um, for a long time in especially over the last several years. We've seen protests that have um, have had very specific demands. Um, but I think that we've been seeing kind of a an intra, a new level of demands. I mean, I think this is the first time that widespread individuals are calling for the police to be abolished. And granted, you know, I think that there is a little bit of a misconception as to what that means. But people really want to see um, the money that taxpayers are giving to the city to be funneled into communities in a, in, a, in a very different way, in a different way and in a way that supports a lot of the social structures that people who've been, who've been involved in this um, in, in, in these efforts really feel will make a bigger difference um, than uh, expanding and kind of beefing up police departments. Mm -hmm. So right now we're kind of seeing the first phase of activism that's very grassroots, that's, you know, these people in their early 20s, sometimes teens, getting together and doing something. Is there a point in which this kind of congeals into a more formal movement locally? Or do you see, you know, the old guard of activism, be it NAACP or uh, other groups kind of take the mantle? Like, where do you see this going, at least in the short term? Yeah, I mean, I think that already um, it was very clear to me during my interviewing that um, people who were setting, um, putting these events together were already finding each other, right? And the, another power of the internet, you know, uh, organizers were getting connected to each other. Um, they were working to kind of put events together. And so I do think that you're going to see a certain congealing um, of the kind of the energy that's already in motion because a lot of organizers uh, recognized the importance of the momentum of this moment. Um, you know, people, they really felt like um, people in power's eyes were on, were focused on what uh, these protesters were um, calling for. And I think that nobody wants to see, uh, nobody wants to lose that momentum. And so, yeah, I do think that you're going to see a lot of people working together. Regarding the NAACP, I mean, I think that, you know, and I, this is included in the story that we wrote, the NAACP has 
is, is ready and, and is already doing what they can, uh, you know, is already helping to support um, these, this new wave of organizers and they'll continue to do that. And so I think that the, those resources are at these new leaders fingertips, you know, all they had to do is, is ask. And I think that we've seen, at least from my reporting, that some are asking, you know, for that guidance, that wisdom, they want to learn from the individuals who have been here beforehand so that they can ensure that in this moment, they're, um, they're making the, the most um, impact that they can. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting to see this truly grassroots mo- movement, because in the past, it's mostly been, you know, activist groups, political action committees, politicians kind of lead the conversation, while the script itself is flipped. It's almost like this digital age where everyone has their voice is now in reality, when, you know, we've kind of existed in this two universe split for some time. Yeah, it it is sort of interesting too because it, one of the things that we were I was kind of uh, I was we noted in this story is that in addition to kind of the leaders who are putting these events together, you also have this kind of organic um, a, a group of leaders who emerge during events, um, you know, who help lead a crowd or who help. Uh, you know, lead chants or who organize people to make sure that we're all kind of headed in, in the right direction. And I think that that's just, it's it's kind of a microcosm of these, just the organic nature of some of these events. But I think it goes to show um, how uh, uh, natural this, this response has been. You know, it has not required um, a whole lot of very, um, you know, very long-term organization. People were ready. I mean, they were ready to step up. They were ready to step in and participate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, earlier today, I saw a tweet from AOC that kind of criticized people attacking the whole uh, defund the police slogan saying that, you know, activists are supposed to say things that are radical and extreme. And it's up to politicians to refine that message into something that could actually be legislated. So don't worry about the kind of refining of this moment, let people voice their opinions. And then people who have the ability to make laws will ultimately make them. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I think that that idea is going to uh, continue to be refined as as community leaders start to take it seriously. Right. And I think that that's really what um, the these community leaders want to see. They want real conversations with people in power who are going to seriously consider um, what the people have been asking for for years. And I think that that's something that we saw with the corrupt restraint. You know, activists have been calling for years for that police use of force to be banned. Um, and, you know, after these a couple of days of protests and after what happened to George Floyd, um, they did end up banning it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we look forward to the rest of the week and getting into the weekend, do we know of any big protests planned or things kind of still getting, you know, sorted out? Yeah, there's definitely we are still kind of putting together, you know, the list of protests that are being planned. But I mean, every every day we have seen an action um, and that that is uh, giving the people the opportunity to come out and again express um, you know, their outrage and call for change. Um, those are continuing. And at this point, we don't see that stopping anytime soon. All right, Lindsay Winkley, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. In other news, more than 4,400 San Diego residents flooded City Hall with phone calls and emails Monday demanding the city reduce police funding and redirect the money toward rent relief, mental health, and boosting the local minority community. After 12 hours of speakers and debate, the City Council did not reduce police funding. 
the council agreed to create a new office on race and equity and it increased rent relief funding by nearly $5 million to $15.1 million. The demands from the community came during a public hearing on the new city budget, which the council adopted in an 8-1 vote, with Councilman Chris Ward voting no. The vast majority of the more than 400 callers into the council meeting and more than 4,000 people who sent emails demanded the city defund the police. Some residents requested the council reject Mayor Kevin Faulkner's proposed plan to increase police funding by $27 million to $556 million. Faulkner has said the increase would cover already approved pay raises and expenses related to the pandemic. Also, health officials nationwide are asking people who have been to a protest to get tested for COVID-19. Due to the two-week-long incubation period of the virus, the spikes we're seeing now are likely caused because of Memorial Day. The impacts of protests on the virus remain unknown. In the outbreak, San Diego County health officials logged an additional 110 cases of COVID-19 on Monday, bringing the county's case total to 8,749. So far, 70% of people infected have required hospitalization, and 5% have been admitted to the ICU. The county confirmed an additional five deaths as well, bringing the region's death toll to 301. The county's 14-day average of positive tests is 3.1%, which remains a positive sign. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you're curious about how Greater San Diego is working toward building a new future after pandemic and protests, listen to the UT's Luis Cruz on Together San Diego. Every weekday afternoon, join in on conversations with activists, nonprofits, and companies who are finding out ways this moment can change San Diego for the better. Listen in on Facebook. For a guide to all of our live streaming program, including this podcast, go to uniontrip.com. Until next time.